Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Beloved, this uh, letter was written to Jewish readers primarily, many of whom had made a profession of faith in Christ. But there seemed to be a danger of drifting away from Christ and the truth due to persecution and a holding on to religious traditions and teaching. You see that there at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 2. And so the author spoke to the superiority of Christ throughout this letter. That he, his way is better, very much better. In fact, from 1-4 all the way through the end of chapter 2, the broad theme is that Christ is much better than angels, even in his incarnation, which is the sub-theme here in chapter 2 and is good for our edification during this time, this season of the year. And so I want you to follow along as I read verses 14 to 18 of Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted." May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word. You know, beloved, each year as we come into the Christmas season, much of the world does pay special recognition. They give tribute to the incarnation of Jesus Christ, and I'm thankful for that. Now, what I mean by the incarnation is simply that God took on humanity. It was read this morning from John chapter 1. And I appreciate this verse so much. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Isn't that marvelous? The incarnation was no ordinary event. It was a miracle. I mean, think about it. Jesus was born through the Virgin Mary being conceived by the Holy Spirit. That just baffles our minds right there. Only God in His perfect wisdom and power could have put this together and accomplished it for His purposes. I like how G. Campbell Morgan summarized all this in the crisis of the Christ. Listen to this. He was the God-man, not God indwelling a man. Of such there have been many, 
Not a man deified. Of such there have been none, save in the myths of pagan systems of thought. But God and man combining in one personality the two natures, a perpetual enigma and mystery baffling the possibility of explanation. We just simply stand in awe and wonder of it all, don't we? We do. And so the big question is, why do we celebrate this event? Well, I believe Hebrews chapter 2, 14 to 18, provides some reasons to ponder and by which to be encouraged. And so I want you to consider with me this morning four glorious purposes, four glorious purposes for the incarnation so that you might rejoice. I've been doing that all week long as I've been meditating on this text. Be renewed in your love for Christ. Oh, amen. And not drift away from Him. You see, that's the warning here that the author gives to these believers. That was His desire. And that's why He extolled Christ and who He was. And who He is. And that's my desire for you this morning. One of those purposes is captured there in verse 14. Look what it says. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. What do you see there in verse 14? What is a purpose for the incarnation? Christ was born to conquer Satan's power. Christ was born to conquer Satan's power. But how? In what way? Well, I believe you've heard it said that Christ was born to what? Christ was born to die. Yes, that's absolutely true. As you can see from the text... He took on flesh and blood that through death he might conquer Satan's power. Which is what? What is Satan's power? It's death here. As the text says, him who has the power of death, the devil. You see, from the very beginning, God pronounced death. Ultimately, spiritual death, separation from Him upon those who sinned and disobeyed Him. Beginning with whom? Adam and Eve, right? You go back to Genesis chapter 2. God told Adam that very thing. And then we come to Genesis 3 and what happens? Did they obey? No, they did not. They disobeyed. And so Paul writes in Romans 5, 12, For as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned through Adam. The whole world was plunged into sin and death. And it is sin of which Satan is the author that gives him the power to exercise death called for by God. That's the bad news. 
The good news, however, to which this text here speaks is that Jesus, the Son of God, came to conquer that power through his own death and resurrection, especially on behalf of those who believe on him. In fact, it could only be God in the flesh who could do this. I'm reminded of Romans 5 and verse 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How about 1 John 3 and verse 8? The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Amen and amen. And so, beloved, during this Christmas season, meditate upon the fact that Jesus was born to die. So that the cord of sin and death, Satan's power, was broken in your life. I mean, this is something of which to worship Him, isn't it? Isn't that what we're to be doing, is to be worshiping God? Yes, that's what we are called to. I mean, as Romans 8 tells us, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And so be reminded this season that Christ was born to conquer Satan's power. And you who have believed in Him, know that! You have eternal life! We sang about that this morning. Praise be to God. Well, this leads right into the next glorious purpose of the Incarnation. And we actually see it there in verse 15, which is the second half of the clause that started there at the end of verse 14. Notice what it says. And might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. And so what do you notice here? It's another purpose for the Incarnation. Christ was born to free mankind from slavery. That's what the passage says. Christ was born to free mankind from slavery. And the slavery here is what? The fear of death, which is a result of slavery to sin. Sin, death, and fear all go together, okay? They do. However, as we saw in the previous verse, Christ took on flesh and blood. He was born to eventually die, conquer death's power, exercised by the devil. And so faith in the finished work of Christ frees sinners from that slavery and gives them peace with God and the peace of God. Isn't that what we read in Romans 5 and verse 1? Therefore, being justified by faith, declared righteous, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Even in Romans 8 and verse 15, it says this, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. In fact, turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 15, that great resurrection chapter. 
I love the end of that chapter and what it says. I want us to look at it. 1 Corinthians 15. Verses 54 to 57. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, in this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, that was the testimony of one of my Sunday school teachers growing up. I got saved when I was 16 years old, and I was a part of this high school Sunday school class. And my Sunday school teacher at that time often shared with us boys the fear of death and hell that he daily lived with as an unbeliever. But when he finally turned his life over to Christ, that fear left. And he has found, and he did find, assurance through this passage here in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. I can remember several times him reading that passage of Scripture to us boys. And sharing on more than one occasion his testimony. How now he was freed from that fear of death and hell. I remember going out to his ranch one time because I was struggling a little bit with the assurance of salvation. And I reminded him of what he had shared with us guys. And he brought out his Bible and we turned to Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 and he read it again. You know, maybe there is someone this morning in our audience that is filled with fear regarding death maybe it's at a tipping point through this covid season huh is that possible that there could be someone here that's just filled with fear fear of death you bet i want you to understand that it's due to your sin to which you are enslaved you might say well pastor god wouldn't send anybody to hell, would he? I mean, God is love. You're right, God is love. And that's why he sent the Lord Jesus Christ to free you from sin and death. But if you continue to reject Jesus as Savior and continue to go your own way and live in your sin, then there must be justice. Revelations 20 and verse 15. And whosoever was not found, written in the book of life, was what? Cast into the lake of fire. There could even be maybe some believers here, professing believers who say, you know, Pastor, I I still have some fears. Again, I would say to you, examine your heart this morning. Could it be that you're not trusting the promises of God? I mean, we were singing this morning 
about the fact as believers we have eternal life. So there shouldn't be a fear of death. Maybe there is some sin in your heart and you feel the chastening hand of God upon you. By God's grace, turn to Jesus. Open your heart to Him and know freedom and peace. You know, I can't think of a better way to celebrate and enjoy Christmas this year. I can't. (laughs) So if there's someone amongst us this morning that's filled with fear, turn to Jesus. Christ was born to conquer Satan's power and to free mankind from sin. That's what is said here in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Now there is another purpose for the incarnation and we see it there in verses 16 and 17. Look what he goes on to say. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels. But he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. What seems to be clear here? What is another glorious purpose of the incarnation? Christ was born to function as high priest. Christ was born to function as high priest. Verse 16 and the first part of verse 17 actually reinforces what the author said back in verse 14. He's just coming back to it again. What does it say there? Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same He was stressing the importance of the incarnation. Literally, the word translated help there in verse 16 is take hold of. That is, Christ did not identify with angels, but with the seed of Abraham. In fact, Jesus was ultimately the seed of Abraham to fulfill the Old Testament covenant And to redeem his people. We see that in Genesis chapter 12. And also again in Genesis chapter 15. The Abrahamic covenant. And so this brings us to the end of verse 17. Where it says this. Here's the purpose. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. In things pertaining to God. To make propitiation For the sins of the people. Simply Christ took on humanity. He became like his brethren. To function as their mediator before God. In the things pertaining to God. That was the role of the high priest in the Old Testament. They offered sacrifices for sin on behalf of the people. But the problem was that they were mere men who had to regularly offer sacrifices for their own sin first before doing such for the people. 
I mean, the high priest, once a year, on the Day of Atonement, would go into the Holy of Holies. And he would bathe. He would cleanse himself. Offer sacrifices. And then he would put on a robe. And there's these bells on the bottom of the robe. And they would tie a rope around that high priest's ankle. And he would go on into the Holy of Holies. And as long as you heard the bells tinkling, everything was fine. But if it stopped, oh no. (laughs) He had fallen over dead and they had to drag him out. Jesus, the God-man, however, was the perfect high priest. Able to be both merciful to man and faithful to God at the same time. How? By his once-for-all sacrifice of himself. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. That's what it says here. Only he could satisfy, avert the wrath of God Upon mankind's sin. That's what the word propitiation means here in that verse. In fact, look with me further in Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. I want you to see this. I've read this a number of times during communion. Hebrews 9 verses 11 to 14. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You know 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, don't you? For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. Beloved, the incarnation was absolutely necessary for Jesus to function as high priest. And it was absolutely necessary that he be high priest so that God could be both just and justifier of those who believe on Jesus. And so this morning, may you rejoice in this great truth. And not just today, but during the Christmas season and all the year long. Because as Abraham's spiritual children through Christ, and we are, this text applies to you as well. Amen? Amen. Christ was born to function as high priest. Finally, there is another Glorious purpose for the incarnation that is mentioned in verse 18. He goes on and says, For since he himself, that is Jesus, was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid 
of those who are tempted. Again, what seems to be clear here? What's another glorious purpose for the incarnation? Christ was born to help tempted believers. Christ was born to help tempted believers. Grammatically, verse 18 is an extension of the previous verse and Christ functioning as high priest. That's why you have the word for that begins verse 18. In other words, in being made like his brethren, Jesus identified with mankind's weaknesses, temptations, and lived victoriously through it. And so therefore, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted and become a merciful high priest. You know, beloved, God has not left his people alone. In Christ as high priest, he came not only to rescue and to save them from the penalty of sin, which we see there in verse 17 but also to help them with the power and suffering of sin. I mean, what did the author of Hebrews say a couple of chapters later? You know these verses. Some of you have them memorized. Chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Look at what it says. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And all of God's people say, Amen. Yes. And so in becoming the God-man, Christ can sympathize with you having experienced Temptation and suffering to depths you and I can't even understand. To the degree that we can't even comprehend. And then in never sinning, and by the way, he could never sin. Being God. That's what is taught by the impeccability of Christ. And so through him, you can have daily victory. Oh, how glorious this truth is. And so this morning, in your heart, fall on your knees before the throne of God's grace and receive help with temptations and trials. He will give you what you need. Isn't that what this verse promises? Huh? Isn't it? He'll give you what you need. I mean, you've heard me say many times that you have everything necessary for life and godliness. Why? Because God said it. God said it. Where? Second Peter 1, 3 and 4. You have everything necessary for life and godliness. You have the nature of God. You have the Spirit of God. You have the Word of God. You have the people, the church of God, to help you. 
to aid you in your hours, your days of weakness. Do you realize this is an ongoing gift, a present from Christ who was born for you? Wow. And so reflect upon this. Rejoice in it. And may your heart be renewed through it for His glory. I mean, wow, there is a lot of theology (laughs) that comes with the incarnation of Christ. We've just touched a little bit on it this morning. But oh, how it enriches our hearts to dwell upon it during this Christmas season, doesn't it? You bet. They're not beyond our understanding. But we hear, we think, and we embrace it into our own hearts so as to rejoice and worship our Lord and Savior. As we saw today, Christ was born to conquer Satan's power, to free mankind from slavery, to function as our high priest, and to help tempted believers. I trust that you love Jesus more because of it and will not drift away from him. Again, why did the author write the things he did about Christ? He wanted them to be stable in the truth about Christ so that they wouldn't drift away. These truths are shared with you this morning so that you might not drift away and love your Savior more. So instead, as you leave here today, determine in your heart to draw near to the throne of grace so that you might know God's mercy and grace in time of need. Isn't that what it says in chapter 4, verse 16? I pray this will be true of you. May these truths (laughs) fill your heart and draw you closer to Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning and just the time we have had in your word thinking about these wonderful truths and purposes actually for the incarnation. God, through the writer, under the inspiration of the Spirit, he wrote these things to keep God's people from drifting away. Oh, God, that's my desire for your people. These are such wonderful things to think about during this Christmas season. And I trust, oh, God, that you will use them to draw our hearts closer to Christ, to worship Him, to love Him. And so may we draw upon the throne of grace this morning to find grace and help in time of need. For the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.